Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Greetings. My name is Susan Plimpton, and I am honored to open today's program and to welcome our U.S. and international guests. As a former board chair of both World Learning and Global Minnesota, I'm a strong proponent of what both organizations do. Both seek global understanding and respect for other cultures, and both organizations place a high value on education and cross-cultural engagement. Global Minnesota, in partnership with World Learning, is hosting today's panel of five women entrepreneurs from around the world brought to the United States by the International Visitor (coughs) Leadership Program, or IVLP, in which both organizations participate. These women represent a much larger group of women entrepreneurs from around the world who are successfully starting a business and making a difference in their countries. It's now my privilege to introduce Patricia Harrison, Director of Global Programs of World Learning, who will tell us more about the IVLP program. Patricia. My name is Patricia Harrison. I'm the Director of Global Programs at World Learning, which is a nonprofit organization focused on international education, development, and exchange. World Learning is one of several organizations that partners with the U.S. Department of State to manage the International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP as it is often called. All our speakers today are alumni of the IVLP. For those of you who may not be familiar with this program, the IVLP is the State Department's flagship exchange program. It brings together emerging leaders from around the world to meet with their professional peers in the United States to share ideas, best practices, and experiences with the goal of understanding each other's culture and context to more effectively address global issues. This year, IVLP is celebrating its 80th anniversary. What makes this program so special is the caliber of the participants. International visitors cannot apply for this program. Instead, they are selected by embassy staff for their achievements and leadership potential. More than 500 IVLP participants have gone on to become heads of state or heads of government. Many more are leaders of NGOs, influential community activists, effective educators, prominent scientists, and as we will see today, successful entrepreneurs. During the program, these visitors come to the United States for three weeks, during which time they travel to several communities in the U.S. to meet Americans on a mutual exchange. We're learning partners with the State Department and with many community-based organizations around the country, such as Global Minnesota, to plan programs that introduce our visitors to the diversity of America. The Americans they meet volunteer their time and expertise and share their culture. And in turn, they benefit from the chance to meet people from all over the world. In 2017 and 2019, World Learning sent two groups of women entrepreneurs to Minneapolis, where Global Minnesota introduced them to local entrepreneurs and business owners. So we are happy to partner together to reunite with some of these participants today. And now I'm pleased to pass the microphone to our moderator of the formal program, Priya Morioka. Thank you, Patricia, and welcome everyone. My name is Priya Morioka, and I have the pleasure and honor to moderate this panel today. I'm very excited to be able to learn more from the esteemed guests, and I'm grateful and thankful to Global Minnesota for this opportunity. 
I am also a fellow entrepreneur. I am a co-founder and co-owner of Global Language Connections. And at Global Language Connections, our team is on a mission to bring people to the same level of understanding by bridging language and cultural differences through culturally competent language services. Our approach is based on our team's lived and learned experience as users and providers of language services across cultures and industries. Our organization helps clients reduce risk while increasing performance, loyalty, and attracting new customers. So without, um, I just wanna give you a little bit of insight on how the, the program will work today. Um, at the beginning here in a moment, I will introduce each of the panelists and they will have some time to introduce themselves and their organizations. And then I will um, begin to open up the floor for questions and um, that is how we will proceed. So without further ado, um, I will ask um, Mega um, to please introduce herself and her organization. Thank you so much for that, Priya. And thank you for having me over for this really exciting panel and for me to be able to meet everyone virtually today. Hi, I'm Beka. I am the co-founder uh, of two organizations based here in India, in the southern part of India, actually Bangalore. I come from a human rights law background with about seven years of education, training myself in community development, in basic human rights strategies, and linking it to community work. In 2014, I started my own nonprofit, co-founded a nonprofit in the space of education called Project DeFi, where DeFi stands for Design Education for Yourselves. Taking the thesis from human rights work, which was of advocating for marginalized communities, Project Defy was started with the vision to democratize education and to bring the choice of learning back into the hands of people. Over the past several years, we've expanded Project Defy's work from India to Africa to Bangladesh, and we're expanding globally now to work with more organizations, to work with more communities that we believe should have access to their learning from the scope of choosing what they want to learn. In the year 2016, I also co-founded and started a medical technology company here again in Bangalore, where the vision is to create low-cost, affordable diagnostic instruments. Again, working in the space of making health and especially diagnostics accessible to people in the marginalized communities, we started Muse Inc. And one of the first products that we've been working on for the past four years is a digital stethoscope called TAL, which currently is the cheapest affordable digital stethoscope in the complete world. This year, TAL comes out uh, accessible to doctors as a teaching device here in India. And we hope to make diagnostics through other instruments more affordable for people living at the bottom of the pyramid. So that's what I do uh, based here in Bangalore, India. Thank you, Priya. Thank you, Mega. 
And now I would like to introduce Paulina for her um, introduction of herself and her company. Hi everyone, I am Paulina Perea. I am the co-founder of Olvera Brewing and I am a renewable energies engineer too. And I'm currently studying a master's in environmental science. And my thesis focused in the environmental impacts that breweries have in the region and what can we do with the waste and to reduce uh, the carbon footprint of the, of the brewery itself. I am also enrolled in the UCSD brewing program and I am part uh, a leader in the Dos California Brewsters project that we have here in Tijuana. There is a collaboration between uh, the San Diego community and the Tijuana community that brew beer to give scholarships to women here in Tijuana that are involved in the Galgo Beer Club of the Technological Institute of Tijuana. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Paulina. And now um, I would like to introduce Enrica to tell us a little bit more about herself and company. Thank you, Priya. I thank you, everyone. I'm Erika Rena from Italy. I'm 34 and I am the co-founder of Orange Fiber. Orange Fiber is a company transforming the byproducts of the citrus juice um, into a fabric for fashion. So basically what we do is that we take the leftovers from the juice production at the industrial level and we transform it into a fabric for fashion. Um, I've been uh, leading the company now for a couple of years and um, have it going through a number of accelerator at the European level. So our mission is really to um, share uh, the possibility that a new, like new products, new raw material can be made from the waste. So really thinking into a circularity mode for fashion. Our products have been adopted by brands like Ferragamo and H&M and we are currently uh, working on scale the process up because we, we now produce around two tons a year and we want to scale this uh, up to 60 tons a year in, in the next two years. And for this we fundraised using equity crowdfunding uh, for 650,000 euros in 2019. So uh, thank you for having me here and I will be happy to share more information on, on Orange Fiber. And me personally, I come from a background in, in communication first and then development cooperation later. So before uh, starting my own company, have been working uh, for international organization in the scope of uh, sustainable development and cooperation. So I worked for UNDP in Egypt and Bibliotheca Alexandrina, again in Egypt, but also here in Italy for an NGO uh, working in scope of um, helping children, like homeless children. Thank you. Thank you so much, Enrica. And now I'd like to introduce Donatella and the organization she works for. Hi, 
Hi everyone, my name is Donatella Orsi, I'm from Argentina. I was part of the IVLP program last year and it was a great and nurturing opportunity to meet uh, a lot of women of all around the world, a lot of entrepreneurs women. Um, I, I have a bachelor's degree in international relations and a master's degree on public policy and I'm in charge of a direction of economical integration of the um, Slam 31st, we call it El Barrio 31, the neighborhood 31, which is a great and massive program of uh, urbanization in, in one of the biggest slums of the city of Buenos Aires, which is the main city, uh, the capital city of Argentina. Um, uh, differently from the other, uh, the other colleagues that are here on the panel, I am not an entrepreneur myself, but I work with entrepreneurs, uh, especially of, of poor neighborhood or vulnerable situations and um, uh, in the last years I worked for the national government of Argentina also building uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems and working with the different provinces uh, I don't know if you have ever been to Argentina but it's a big 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 country with with uh, a lot of difficulties and a lot of differences so it was a rather uh, challenging job Thank you so much for inviting me, and I hope to be helpful for, for, for whomever is listening. Thank you, Donatella. And last but not least, I'd like to introduce Sophia. Hello, Priya. Thank you so much. I hope you can hear me. I'm Sophia Mohamed Kona. I'm a physical tra trainer and also a massage therapy and a wellness coach. I, my business has been started, has started five years ago as an entrepreneur in wellness and fitness as well and helping women be aware of their body and also help the community in growing in health and wellness as well. So I have been mentored to also be a strong woman in becoming a good leader because I have been, for the past seven years, I have been coaching girls and women into starting their business and also becoming a strong entrepreneur in their own area and learning their skills. I've trained about six to 10 women in different areas of skills to become a specialist in their own skills and profession. And as I have grown my company and my business, I have also learned that women really needed to help themselves in a lot of ways. So I have also started my own skin line, skincare line, which is C Skin of it comes with body scrubs and also different kinds of varieties of skincare, organic kind of skincare. And it's been an honor to be part of the panel. And thank you so much, Ria. Thank you, Sophia. So now we will move to the question and answer portion of today's event. Um, I'm sure excited to talk to all these women and learn more hearing about their backgrounds and the work they are doing is um, amazing and humbling and exciting. And it's nice to have a re broad representation of industries and programs. So please note that um, if you have any questions, put them in the chat box and we will do our best to, to answer them. So my first question today is from Megha. Your background is law and your work has been in tech and 
in promoting um, affordable medical diagnostic equipment, and then an education in your space of creating alternative education. What was the biggest um, influence that moved you from law into these spaces? Thank you for that question, Priya. So uh, my background was in human rights law. So I spent about seven years really studying and understanding what the legal systems across the globe look like, especially for minority communities, for marginalized communities. And the reality is that, uh, you know, the fact is that the laws are only created to kind of help people once there are oppression, there are atrocities that have been committed. And throughout that segment of my learning and actually working with a bunch of organizations on the ground, I kind of drifted towards understanding that there was some rights that were just basic to people and education, access to health, especially diagnosis seemed like one of those few fundamental foundation stones of anybody's life for them to have a better life. And therefore, I gradual, uh, gradually started shifting towards saying that what would it look like if I could really create interventions before people go through marginalization, especially because of non-access to choice in education or non-access to great um, medical and health services. And that's where towards the end of my master's, uh, back in um, the late 2000s, I kind of shifted towards really understanding what would interventions that uh, could work in these two specific areas look like. And I pretty much started my career back then with really working with development sector organizations to learn what was happening at the grassroots. While there are a lot of policies, there is a lot of law that, especially here in India, that talks about right to education, that talks about right to public health systems, to health as a human right. What does not exist is the complete infrastructure to be able to make sure that happens. And that's why the shift towards starting these two organizations to make sure that we're able to uh, be able to get into really making sure that this access works and that we can provide access before people have to even go to law as a remedy. Also, we have to note that law per se, especially in developing countries like ours, is a remedial process. It does not necessarily answer the question if infrastructure does not answer the question of access. And therefore, I kind of shifted gears and instead of really practicing law, I moved towards seeing, setting up my own two enterprises to, to make sure that we can cut off that whole um, access problem for people, especially at the bottom of the pyramid and people especially who come from marginalized communities. And that's where the core work has stayed for now. Thank you so much, Megat. That is simply fascinating to find and learn about how things are so interconnected and um, your passion to not just, you know, understand and influence the policies, but try to see and how you can make it work. So thank you for that. We'll be back to you. And now my next question is for Paulina. 
Um, you are in a market that's full of niches, craft brewing, which in the U.S. has been growing phenomenally. And it's often dominated by men. So my question is, what has been the biggest hurdle to you for you've had to overcome as a woman to grow your business? That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, well, the hardest part is to prove yourself all the time, you know? Uh, well, I am the youngest brewery in Tijuana and the youngest owner of a brewery too. And actually there are only two women-owned breweries here in Tijuana and we are about four to five uh, brewers or brewsters. That's the term for a woman to that brews. And so it's kind of closed uh, the, the, all the system, all the industry for us. And we get a lot of questions as how you do manage to do stuff. How do you carry kegs? How do you carry sacks of malt? And my uh, answer to all of that is that you have to manage, even if you don't have the help. And most of the time you do have the help, but if you don't, you have to manage yourself because if you have to sell a kid and you have to move it, you're gonna uh, think a way to do it. So it's, it's actually uh, a great part of being a woman in the industry because you get to use more your brain than your body to, to do stuff, so yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Paulina. That's really interesting. You know, it's, I kind of had to chuckle and shake my head a little bit. Um, often as women, we get asked questions that you would, you know, almost bet that a man is not asked, like, can you carry a keg? So that is very interesting. My next question is for Enrica. Enrica, your company has worked across the spectrum in the fashion industry, from fast fashion at H&M to high-end at Ferragamo. Which area has been most receptive to your product and why? Thank you for the question. I think this has changed dramatically over time, uh, meaning that at the very beginning, we had a lot of interest from uh, like North, European um, fashion brand and high-end luxury brands while uh, later on we also have now a lot of requests from any any area of the fashion industry meaning sportswear leisurewear but also home textile and what is even more interesting for us is that now we are having some interest also from the basis of the supply chain because it all started from acknowledging that after you transform uh, oranges and citrus for food consumption you have 60 to 70 percent of the products that like that it's actually a leftover and has to be disposed so now we are establishing partnership not only with the orange juice producer but even with um 
people that are more in the chemical industry uh, to work together in to create a more uh, circular process even for their supply chain so i think that's what's most interesting that even in areas where um, the added value of sustainability was not very well understood or well perceived uh, before it's now uh, important even if they are just dealing with commodities so with products that don't really have so much space for added margin for sustainability thank you thank you um and Enrica, that was that's very interesting to learn about the various industries now that you will be able to be crossing with your product and interacting all in an effort to continue to promote and ensure our planet is around for a long time. My next um, question will be for Donatella. Your role provides significant support to entrepreneurs. Governments often have a lot of resources available for startups and small businesses. What is one piece of advice you have for a business owner to find and make the most of government programs? Well, um, my first advice would be to search, to search for most of um, the offers that are um, available. Um, many times governments as governments we offer a lot of resources but are in different web pages or they are difficult to, to be found or maybe you have a window of one month to prepare a project and, and submit it so you have to be very alert so to be to be alert would be the first advice I would also say that um, it's important to trust the organizations that are part of the ecosystem where you live or, or where you are working and to trust them and to be very, uh, to, to frequently um, visit them and to go to co-works, to go to incubators, to go to universities. Uh, usually those organizations are the ones that have more, more resources. I, I wouldn't say that economical resources, but, but, uh, but uh, I would say that they have um, people that, that they know that work in governments and they have information at, at first hand um, and usually they are the, the organ they are the ones that, that dialogue with the gov with government and, and, and can provide you of information and of ways to access those resources um, so I would I would say that you have to trust your ecosystem and you have to be to mingle with your ecosystem and to um, and to trust other other entrepreneurs or the mentors that can help you grow your own business. Thank you, Donatella. Um, that's very helpful advice. And I know in my interactions with programming in the ecosystem here in Minnesota, those um, that piece of advice definitely resonates and rings true here as well. My next question is sort of for Sophia, coming to us from Sierra Leone, and there was a question of what her um, company was called, and it's Sissy Fitzy, and um, she can expand more on that, as well as what drew you to the space of health and wellness? Do you still rely on that interest in your current work? 
Thank you, Priya. Uh, yes, um, what drew me into fitness and wellness? Well, my grandma is a, is a health healer, and then she is 110 years old now, which really, I wish I could get to that point. But as a background of medicinal and medical background of families and brothers and sisters, I, I, I was a profession, my profession actually studied in college was a business administration. But because of my health background, I knew a lot when it comes to health and, and wellness. So I had close friends and family, which I would always advise and help and train and help a lot. And that did change their life mentally and physically. So that really pushed me to say that I should start a company of my own, which was called CC Fitzy because my name is CC and then I'm popularly known as CC. So I named the company CC Fitzy of Fitness and Wellness helping the community and becoming healthy and also eating healthy and living a healthy lifestyle in Sierra Leone, Africa, West Africa. So it grew and grew so much that it became a kind of company that is more of not only fitness more, it's also concentrated on wellness and consultations of different kinds of area when it, in terms of health. And also, I've lost a very close person to me and through not being healthy or keeping a healthy lifestyle. So that really pushed me to stand up and say, this is my passion and I'm really good at it. If I was there to help him, I wish I was there, but I was not. And a similar friend of mine had the same condition, which I helped. And then he did survive and he's strong and healthy. So that helped me to also improve. And for the past five years, I have organized workout sessions and in a large group of 50 and also done certain corporate massages and also encourage the young youth in Africa in general and Sierra Leone also to also be healthy and that will help them in the long run and becoming also a strong entrepreneur or a very good business you have to mentally be stable and physically be stable in order to push yourself into doing anything and and the five goals of becoming a great entrepreneur is exercising and eating well to keep you strong and healthy in life so that was the most thing that i had and i needed it because as a single mom it wasn't easy for me so i had a mental breakdown and all that but through my exercises and healthy eating that's really what helped me to overcome a lot of things so this, this, these are the things that I grabbed onto and started a company which became a successful. Thank you, Priya. Thank you, Sophia. It's, it's really interesting to, to hear how different factors can influence us um, into our businesses. And you know, one you know, common thread um, in a lot of businesses is, the, is personal experience. And I think that creates um, a passion and you can tell that in, in your work, Sophia. So if I could ask the panelists now to um, all turn on their videos, so we'll look a little bit like a Brady Bunch, I guess, um, where the, the, whole, the participants can see us, that would be great. And then I will continue to go through the questions. Um, so for Mega, education reform is currently a hot global topic. Project Defy is cutting edge with the concept of a teacherless space where innovation and thinking can be fluid. 
What is the biggest insight you would share from your work at Project Defy with the intergenerational interactions? That's a great question. Actually, it is, like you mentioned, one of the most discussed topic currently globally in the education space. And our work primarily lies at the edge of this conversation, which is that we have forgotten what intergenerational learning used to look like. I come from a country where our erstwhile education system was about the older generations passing down knowledge to the younger generations and for the younger generation to actually look at the experiences before them to uh, look at solutions that they wanted to create. What we are learning now through the spaces that we create globally within marginalized communities is that there is a lot of cross-learning that is still possible. So in the alternate learning spaces that we run, which are called NOOCs, what we necessarily see is that there is a phenomenon of the older generation wanting to catch up. They are not uh, digitally inept anymore. They are not on the outside of the technology revolution anymore. While the younger generation is looking to slow down, is looking to create, uh, to solve local problems with local solutions. And that is where they're looking forward to learning from them. So what we see is this interesting emerging paradigm uh, where the generations are now connecting and are mingling their knowledge. So we typically see at the spaces that we run because the spaces do not have an age bar to it. So our youngest learners are as young as seven and our oldest learner are as old as 65. So what we're seeing is this integration of what technology is able to democratize from a cross-learning perspective for them. So 60-year-olds are sitting with 15, 16-year-olds and are learning how to create uh, apps to solve the problem of connecting old people or the people in that community to deliveries and food delivery, especially when disasters hit. So, and this is, this is happening because they are recognizing that technology is something that's gonna really change the way they're solving problems. While we are seeing the younger people sit with them and listen again to stories like we used to hear as little children and to hear stories of what used to be the background of that particular community. A lot of communities are going through transition as cities are emerging, villages, towns are ch changing the landscapes to a lot of urbanized landscape. So now the younger generation are sitting with the older people and are trying to understand what used to be the background of this place. They're trying to go back to the roots to understand what was traditionally available for them to solve with. And they're listening to it from the aspect of a story. They're listening to it from an aspect of this is what used to exist and does not exist anymore and therefore can it be shifted. So that's what we are seeing emerging right now. And there, I believe, is going to be there in another few years, we're going to reach at the pinnacle of this. We're going to realize 
that we have on our hands a generation that is no more outside of this changing world of technology. And therefore, with them joining this technology boom globally, especially in developing nations, there will emerge across collaboration a very, very minutely detailed collaboration between these two set of generations where they're going to build solutions together. And we're seeing that happen, at least in communities where we are working. So we're very excited to see of how uh, generations across the globe are going to collaborate with each other to really change the problems within their communities. That is really interesting. If there's one thing, you know, the population, you know, there's a lot of elders in the population and to be able to tap into that knowledge and to find, you know, they lived in simpler times when um, they had to be more creative and now how technology can maybe help accelerate some of that with the learning from the youth. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing more and more of that myself. My next question is for Polina. Has technology and its ability to cross borders influenced or impacted your work through international connections and exposure? Well, thank you. Uh, it's really great to have San Diego breweries to impulse and that, that impulse you to create a greater beer. Uh, it's amazing to he get help uh, across the border and actually i think that we feel more like a region that it's only separated by a wall uh, we share a common culture in terms of gastronomy and we have a, a like this multinational collaboration where you can go to san diego and the san diego brewers can go here and we help each other in terms of the technology they have because they have bigger breweries there than we have here. And we are we can we have like uh, two or three breweries that the size of the San Diego breweries that they have, and we can get a lot of the the influence of the the of the bigger industry. It it has a a greater uh, we we get we get a lot of support from them, and we have like this uh, connection for bigger uh, equipment, and for uh, the the malts and the hops that we can get because because here in Mexico we don't grow hops, and they uh, the Yakima region has a great variety of hops, and in terms of malt we have access to cheaper malt and to cheaper gist and uh, I was talking about the Dos California Brewster's collaboration that we have where women uh, from both sides of the border uh, meaning well Dos California Brewster's from Baja California and California uh, come together to brew a batch of beer then we later sell through beer festivals and different pubs uh, or bars and the profit goes to the women of the of the Institute of Technologicals in Tijuana, called uh, as I said the Galgo Beer Club, and we gave the women full or partial scholarships. So 
this kind of uh, community that we create is uh, has improved the brewing industry here in Tijuana because San Diego has a history of, well, California itself has a history of brewing uh, for about 50 years. And here in Tijuana, it's about uh, 10 to 15 years tops. So this is a great opportunity for us being here in the most transited uh, border in the world. Thank you, Paulina. That's really interesting. And I think another common theme for successful entrepreneurship is that friendly competitive collaboration that really can help everybody. And then especially within the sphere of women, women helping women, I know I've gotten advice at one of the events we were at and we were all competing for the same business, but the gentleman who was talking us through said, you guys need to lock arms and look at each other. You only represent 20% of the business in the US as women. So you, you need to help pull each other forward rather than just look to compete. So the um, collaboration and sharing you're doing and then supporting women is, is really neat. The next question is for Enrica. Being in one of the global fashion hubs in Italy, what was the biggest influence that led you to form Elite and launch your company? I think that being in Italy was really the driving force because our company started from Adriana's idea back in the days, that was uh, 2012. Uh, and this was developed with Politecnico di Milano. So at first she was studying fashion, wrote this thesis on how to create fabrics from citrus. But then um, if she would have not been in the right place, meaning Milan, uh, there would most likely be a lacking connection with research entities, but also with all the network that is around Milan on textile production. So I think this was really uh, crucial and had a big influence. And it was a time when uh, sustainability in fashion was not yet so popular. While on the other hand, uh, going on with, with the company, we found that uh, while we have a very extensive um, network of companies that are into the final part of the supply chain, meaning uh, creating fabrics and, and producing the final garment, printing, coloring, and finishing, uh, there's quite a lack of what we are doing, uh, meaning creating fibers from cellulose. So this has also led a total different uh, development of the company more uh, within Europe I would say also thanks to the various accelerator we participated in so we now collaborate with uh, research entities in um, in Germany and in Finland and companies in Sweden and Austria so we kind of have two two main branches I would say so final products is definitely in Italy and also raw material uh, come from Italy but on the other hand uh, part of the process has been developed in an international collaboration thank you so much Enrica that's um, very interesting I think what I took away from that is that you know, sometimes you can think that there's a lot of players in a space you wanna go into, but 
it's a passion and something you're interested in, it's always worth the look because there probably are gaps. So my next question is for Donatella. Donatella, in Argentina, do government programs for entrepreneurs support subgroups such as women or other maybe marginalized or less represented communities? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, of course, it depends on which um, area of government you're, you're working with, but uh, there usually are programs to, to enhance um, uh, entrepreneurs of different areas. Um, I actually work for entrepreneurs of a very, very vulnerable neighborhood. That's the Barrio 31, as I was saying. And we have a program that has, has been, had been specially designed to um, approach these, uh, these, these entrepreneurs. So, uh, for example, we uh, maybe uh, it would be different if we, were, if we were working with big startups of, or technology startups. But uh, here in the Barrio 31, we, um, we work a lot in uh, digital technology, digital inclusion, financial inclusion, and um, uh, supply chain. So all of our programs are, uh, are thought from the needs of the, of the people in the neighborhood, are, uh, are all the time validated with the, with the private sector, and we, we shape the, the the national public policies or the more general public policies to fit in the to the needs of the people in the barrio. Uh, even uh, even inside the, the barrio 31, that is itself a, a, a vulnerable area and, and has to be very we have to be very careful in the programs we develop. There are also minorities besides this minority, like women or women that have been. Um, uh, victims of gender violence or people that have uh, have not finished their high school or people with disabilities so um, we we try to to work with the minorities to, to give them uh, instruments to make their to make their business better um, but um, every time we develop a policy we we try to make it um, how can I say that to make it um, sustainable? I don't know if that's a word, but um, to to make it uh, not to be dependent dependent of, of the government or of, of government finance, but to make it to cross it with the public, to, to with the private sector and make it sustainable in in the long term. Many times, these minorities tend to um, to depend too much on government financing and it's it's not usually uh, very dependable no <laughs> uh, priorities change uh, well, now we're being facing a huge pandemic situation and the government does, does not have enough resources and many times it the resources are cut from the uh, from the productive sector and and put on the education or health or, or something else that seems more uh, seems seems a priority so it's very important for us to build with the uh, with the minorities or with the entrepreneurs uh, autonomy so they don't rely all the time in the public sector because it's not very um, sometimes it can surprise you so that would be it 
Thank you, Donatella. That's really interesting. And I think that um, the insight that you provided about working with the communities and building programs based on their needs and then influencing in the policy is really um, a strong insight and approach and the ability to create a more sustainable kind of launching platform is something that um, is critical because to your point, definitely the government funding is not always going to be there. So my next question is for Sophia. In your work of well, which areas of wellness do you highlight and how have you or will you increase capacity in your business to reach more people? Thank you, Priyanka. Um, the area in my wellness that I would highlight is um, fitness, which is basically physical fitness, which women I would want in general human being to really be fit, which will help you in your self-esteem and in person as well. In order for you to overcome most of the challenge in your life, you have to be, you have to overcome the, the person that you are first. You have to be comfortable with who you are and be reliable and rely on yourself before ever starting to work with anybody else or even starting a day or a life. That's one of the way I would like to reach out with people out there. And in a way in building up my capacity of my business is as more people increase in their self-being and in mental health and in all other area, these are the way of word of mouth that goes out there and then helps me to build up my business because of the more improvement people see in themselves is the way that they can able to, you can have a really substantial, substantial evidence of the way of people improving in their life. And then that will inspire you as well and motivate you to also inspire in your own life and then build your own life. So in order to do that, you have to, first be mentally stable and physically stable and yeah that will also help in building a community and workers because of in order for me to get good employee employees and people to work for me they had to be fit so people would be motivated by them and also building up and saying yes I would want to be like you but not only like you but be the best version of myself so in order to be a best version of yourself, you will also want to push yourself into doing things. And then that will also build you to help people around you. And it's, it's a magnet kind of way of building. If you have a very great appearance, you can approach the right positive, negative, I mean, the positive energy, and that will increase the capacity of people well-knowing and word of mouth goes a far way. And yeah, those are the kind of ways that I could build up. Thank you, Sophia. Those are, those are great answers. And I think that word of mouth and referrals is definitely um, a big factor in growing one's business in almost any industry. I'm hoping soon you will um, have a website with your grandma's secret recipes to live to be 110 years old. That would be exciting. All right, we are back to Mega. My question is, do you have a mentor or are you a mentor? And what has made this, what's, what is something that has made this relationship very successful? 
Thanks for that question, Priya. Uh, I think I find this the most exciting question, especially as a woman entrepreneur. So I do not think my journey as an entrepreneur would have been complete or, or really as fulfilling without having mentors. So I absolutely do have mentors. And when I think of mentorship, I really think of it from the lens of where is it that I believe I want to take my organizations to? What is the, what is that growth plan where I want to? And therefore, mentors for me who specifically come from the space of business, from the space of helping you think how businesses run, how you grow businesses, um, especially with that skill set, come in as advisors and really have been helping me think through the growth trajectory of what uh, growing looks like. And uh, besides that, I think one of the things that uh, I think as a woman, I have to navigate, especially as I lead a medical technology company also, is the space of, you know, spaces that men have really occupied and have been in for the longest time. So, I then seek out mentorship from le women leaders, especially in technology industry, who have created those spaces for themselves, who have gone out and you know, broken that glass ceiling and therefore are able to provide the insights, are able to provide also those spaces for me to grow and for me to occupy too. So I think for me, uh, mentorship from all of these people have stayed pivotal in how I grow and especially having uh, women leaders as mentors. So that for me has been crucial in helping me think how I navigate uh, my path in this whole bigger entrepreneurial sector as well as growing two startups, two young companies, uh, being a woman co-founder. and. I think as give back as something that I've always been passionate about. I do work with uh, younger people, as, again, especially young girls, especially young women who are making choices, who are choosing what is it that they want to be doing, what is it that looks like their options. And I think uh, one of the things that stays with me is that the only thing that I'm really able to pass on to them is to ensure that I'm able to tell them that the spaces that they are scared of risking into getting have open doors now because there are more women who have opened those doors. So I kind of take away my lesson even with the mentoring that I do for young people that as long as I can keep those doors open for them and tell them that there is that place that they can go to and not be scared of, will I be able to? You know, that, that voice in the head that I believe young girls, young women constantly have. And uh, that is what I stay on the path with when I work with them as, um, as a mentor because that's what my mentors are doing for me, which is opening up those spaces for me. So yeah, and I think it's, it's the most exciting part of my week when I talk to these two, three young people in a week and, and, and I'm able to also reflect back on how much more has to be done. 
of what else has to be done to make sure that these young women are able to really make that dent that they believe they want to. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Mega. That's a great answer and insight. Um, definitely mentorship and that thoughtful approach is advice that I've heard um, as well. And then the, the additional sharing that you can share out as well as learn from sort of that intergenerational, right? From people who've experienced what you're doing before and then those coming, coming after you. So my next question is for Paulina. What has been your biggest success or failure and how has that impacted your business? Oh, well, um, not asking for help, you know, being so young, I am 26 right now. And when I started brewing, I was 22. So that you give, you have that feeling of you have to prove yourself to yourself and to others. So I started brewing and started with this business at really young age. And I thought that books could teach me anything that I wanted. Uh, but there was one thing that book, uh, I couldn't learn in books. And that was the technique. And that what, what comes with the practice and with time. So when I grew that uh, that se sense of uh, you know proving myself, I actually asked uh, other fellow brewers for help and for advice, and that was a really good part because the beer became better, and more important, I grew as a company and as a person. So that's you. Uh, that's the advice I can give you. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That is wonderful advice. And I think, especially as women, and then to your point when maybe you're younger or you're very underrepresented in the industry you're in, you don't wanna ask those questions. But when you do, it's, it's really helpful. So thank you for that. Um, the next question is for Enrica. You hear a lot now about young people leaving Italy for work, as well as how hard it is to start a business in Italy, particularly due to the laws and regulations on new businesses. What were some of the hurdles you experienced and why did you decide to move forward in Italy versus somewhere else? Thank you for the question. So, well, uh, when, when we started, we actually had no idea of how complex it would have been. So that might sound basic, but it's like, okay, that's the country where I understand the language I'm in and where I'm creating the network. So where the universities and where uh, most of the textile chain is. So um, at first, it was not even a question of where we do that because we wanted to take citrus from from Sicily that is our homeland and then leverage on the fabrics uh, producer and textile producer in, in Como and, uh, and in Florence so at the beginning it was not really an issue we just uh, understood how how complex it would have been when we started applying for you know national grant or after establishing the company because 
Um, of course, nobody will give you money for free, but on the other hand, sometimes the hurdle uh, to comply with uh, grant or opportunities is heavier than the real opportunity to just make things happen. Meaning sometimes you can wait for a reimbursement for nine months and these completely block you or you're waiting to receive um, an answer from an application and you just don't buy things for six months because you know that that money can be used under the grant scheme. So uh, apart from that, which really slows you down a lot, uh, I think, I'm not sure because I never tried, but I don't know how easy it can be in, in other countries. For sure, we have talked several times about uh, moving to the to the US or maybe just internationalize it because when it came to extend our patent on the process we were looking into the countries where uh, citrus juice is produced because that's where uh, the byproduct is that we need for our process to, to work so we actually extended our IP in the United States, in Mexico, uh, in Brazil, and in India, plus a number of countries um, in Europe. So we have in mind the possibility to uh, replicate our process and model in other countries. Uh, but this is also an investment. So this also means that for six months, uh, you focus on establishing yourself in a different country, understanding the rule, finding a mentor, and create network and credibility. So it's not as easy as one can imagine, even just get an entrepreneur visa or a startup visa. So, um, I mean, we have to do with, with laws and regulation everywhere in the world. So our take on that is rather to find an uh, international partner to, uh, to work together and maybe replicate the model rather than just put everything on hold here and then go somewhere else. Because what we would lost in that is all the network we created so far and we are not just um, strong enough or big enough to do the same, the, the both things at the same time. So we need to focus and decide what we do first and where we want to be at the precise moment. Thank you, Enrica. I think that's very helpful from an international perspective to learn things like the entrepreneur visa and um, how you would successfully start up in another country. And I think the theme of as an entrepreneur, you can spread yourself so thin, right? And so to make the conscious choices to focus on um, what you want to and where you're, you're, you're working in that space and not um, get too ahead of oneself is, is really important. Um, my next question is for Donatella. What is the biggest innovation you are most proud of in the space in which you work? Well, um, here at the, the Barrio 31, we have been doing very innovative stuff regarding economic integration. Um, we have a, a center that we call the, the Center of um, the Entrepreneurial and, and labor, de labor Development Center, something like that. I, I got lost in the translation, which is a, a space that 
uh, concentrates all the offers for uh, entrepreneurs and people that are seeking to get a job in, um, you know, like a, a formal job. Uh, at this time, we have been working a lot to to create a new, would uh, be a new norm or new law, which could allow um, uh, different um, businesses to have. Um, I don't know how to say in English, but. Um, usually, when you have a business, you have to get the government to uh, habilitarlo. Maybe Paulina, which probably speaks Spanish, can help me with it, with the word, but um, to make it um, usable, you know, to make it uh, to formalize it, the the, the business. So uh, we we and, and that that law is not uh, is probably you won't you wouldn't be able to. Uh, to use it if, if in, in any business in in, in Islam because the, um, the infrastructure of the businesses are are not uh, doesn't work very well. So we're creating a new a new law to formalize those businesses. And um, the other thing that we're creating right now is a, a service center to for the industry of knowledge uh, to uh, help men and women, young men and women of Barrio 31 and other neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, to uh, get into the into the technological or the knowledge industry. So what we find is that there is a very huge gap to 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 get the, your first job in any industry for for people that are from slums and especially in the technology industry. And, uh, and at the same time, it's a, a big uh, a fast-growing industry, so it would be very interesting for our our young men and women to uh, to to be able to ride the, this uh, this uh, this, um, this this fast-growing industry. So we are creating a space where young men and women can can get their first job uh, in this industry uh, at the same time to be able to learn new. You say um, a new. I, I cannot find the right word. Um, new abilities, new skills, and, uh, and and be able to to get that first job because the problem is that they are so so uh, they're so distant from this industry that they cannot. It's, it's not possible for them to even even approach it, and to 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 create a place that will be able to. To, uh, to 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 make these gaps smaller would be of great use for the people for, for the young men and women and also for the industry that take new talents every day. Thank you, Donatella. That's you know we always get it's easy to get excited about tangible products and innovation or other spaces, but there's so much innovation going on in um, organizations that help support the economic or the ecosystem of entrepreneurship and building. And what is really neat about the last one you were talking about, it's, it's connected a little bit to what Mega does with the just alternative education. And, um, you know, often we go into things based on our sphere of influence and we don't have access or knowledge to what other things can do or learn about it and learn those skills. So that's really, really neat. So Sophia, a question for you. How do you support other women in healthy living and how has it led to or impacted your success? 
Um, how did I support women in healthy eating and eating? Well, as an entrepreneur, we intend to be selfish <laughs> a little bit and insecure in letting people know what's our main secret and powerful part. It depends to the area that you are. And then we intend to hold on that, the supremacy that comes into us, but most people can relate as becoming an entrepreneur. But the easy way that I found was to put my clients or people as a leader in order for them to also believe that they can make it and not the person standing in front of you or telling you what to do or what to eat, but you, you can be control of yourself as well in becoming a leader. So in my own work of healthy and fitness, I, I'm in health and fitness, I, I always make sure to put most of my clients in front of this crowd and to become a leader, lead a class. And out of my six year successful story, I have groomed up five trainers in Sierra Leone and three won nominees. They were nominated and won as the best fitness instructor in Sierra Leone Freetown. And they have also been, they have been empowered as well to support other women in their journeys of weight loss or weight gain of becoming healthy or living a healthy lifestyle in general, not only in healthy eating, because it's not that easy for us as well. We all have our flaws and I keep telling them that I have a flaws as well is not about is not about only keeping healthy healthy, but you also have to embrace your flaws in order to become successful in life. Failure is a lesson in life. So they accept that yes, this is who I am as a human being and where I come from or where generally all the mistakes that I've done. And as they acknowledge that they could go through in sur surviving and succeeding in life. So as I groom women's and girls, mentor them in life, they have become to realize that in their part of job, they also wanted to become a fitness trainer, not only as a profession, but as a side hustle as well. So after work, they might get a simple kind of work to do as well. So that's the portrait they give out there and showing how they can be multitasked in life. And that supported really a lot of women in my community. And generally I had international people also hear stories from my clients and people and then they will reach out to me and also ask for my own successful stories and also my mentorship, which is a little bit quite hard because me myself has a flaw. I have a flaw because <laughs> after a training, I swear I want to grab an ice cream <laughs> just to help my day through. But yeah, that was the role that I played in to help them succeed in life. And after each workout, after each consultation, we always have a girl chat as well in areas of not only healthy, but also well-being in your relationship, in your workplace or any other. So through them succeeding in life, that really helped me to become a great leader as well and a great mentor, which I got nominated as well and won an award. So that was my success that I've been through. And they made me successful seeing people happy going through their journey those are the success that i looking for is not only the funds and the, the financial in it but when people smile through the journey that they have been tackling through and 
helping them go through. It's a great success that you feel. And that's the healthy, that makes me happy. And that's the whole thing I could tell anybody. Being happy is the greatest healthy way you can leave. Yes. Well, thank you, Sophia. That's um, very inspiring. Um, you can tell your passion and and such coming through. And you're right. And I and I can believe that the other panelists would echo that um, you know, there's so many things that go on to starting a business and the, um, the, the ability to define success comes in many places as well. And that ability to help others is, is probably definitely one of the most rewarding, sometimes even more than the financials. So, well, I'm on to sort of the last question. It's a lightning round, so it's just a one word. And so if um, I'll ask the question and then I'll just call on the panelists to answer and then we will conclude. So the lightning round question is, one word of advice you'd give to today's aspiring women entrepreneurs. So Mega, let's go with you first. Oops, you have to unmute. Sorry, I would say ask for help. Uh, be shameless and just ask for help. Great, how about Polina? You have to unmute too. So, sorry, to unmute, Paulina. Sorry. That's okay. Be passionate, responsible, honorable, and constant. Thank you. That's awesome. Enrica? Like network as much as you can and be consistent. So really, if I mean, I'm in the space of sustainability and uh, being real to what you do is central so really be curious network but also be real and do do what you believe in and be persistent thank you donatella um i think and because stole my line because i was going to say a uh, network trust other women uh, go to places where women hang out and, and develop ideas and don't be afraid of, of anyone stealing your, your thunder because we, uh, there are many, many people trying to help other people. There are more people trying to help people than people trying to steal ideas. So um, in, in, that, in that sum, in that you know, equation, uh, you, will, we, you will end up winning. Thank you, Donatella. And Sophia? Uh, well, Donatella and Erica already said it all. <laughs> Networking and consistent and also learn to share pour out just share you you might not know the mistakes that you're going through other people has gone through it and they succeed in life and the one inspiration word that i could say a woman like you don't ever happen often so don't forget that you're rare and that's who you are hold on to it thank you sophia well this comes to the conclusion of our panel and I, for one, have had a fantastic time being able to hear and learn your stories. I'm excited to listen to the recording because there was a lot of great insights that came out. And um, I really want to thank you for participating. And I will be following, um, like I'm sure many of the rest of the attendees, the work you're doing. And now I will turn it over to Mark Ritchie to close us out.
Thank you, Priya, and thank you, of course, to Team Women and to World Learning for joining us uh, on this amazing adventure today. It was so wonderful to see all of you again, because when you were here before, we had such a good time and you told stories, but now we get to see how the world is evolving and all this bright, this inspiring, this clear vision of the future is so appreciated, especially at this moment when the world is a bit upside down. The thing I take away from today, uh, in addition to wanting to kind of tell my wife that being happy is the most important way of being healthy, is that we continue to need to say out loud, we can all learn from each other all over the planet and the things that you shared today were zingers for reminders, zingers for new ways of thinking. The mingling of knowledge that is going on between generations, I was thinking of the mingling of knowledge of our experience today. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you panelists and boy, someday to visit all of your places and to see them and to get that cerveza is on the list. Thank you to all our visitors, all our watchers, our members, our supporters. This will be up on our YouTube page in just a few days. We'll, uh, you can note on that YouTube page if you want notification, but um, this is the first of a number of gatherings of our former in-person visitors, and we'll be mingling knowledge from all over the planet. Hope to see you again soon. Bye now.